0: What's up, guys? It's Matt Whitmore here of Fit of Food. This is episode number forty-six, and unfortunately, it's just my wee self today. Keris is far too busy to to be on the podcast today. Get her, uh, so it's, it's all me. Um, she's done an episode on our on, on her own, so I guess we're we're even now. But um, I'm not completely alone because I've got an awesome guest on the show today. I've got Alex Ferentinos with me, who's uh. Do, do we call you a nutritionist, Alex?
1: Yeah, but um. I'm a trainer and coach as well, so Yeah, so strength um, coach,
0: nutrition.
1: Yeah, so I kind of tick the boxes I can. I leave other stuff like um you know, like massage therapy and physios to other people but I try and be as good as I can at the
0: nutrition and training side of things so nutrition and training is my forte yeah awesome um, so Alex has got a pretty, pretty big presence on social media with the likes of uh, Facebook and Twitter um, we've been following for, for quite some time you know he kind of travels all over the UK doing his seminars on nutrition training etc bumped into him very very briefly at the Scottish Fitness Expo in August last year it was actually the first time I'd ever seen him in person um, but Alex, instead of me trying to introduce you, buddy, why don't I hand over to you and right. just tell our listeners a, a little bit more about yourself, kind of like what you do. You know, we don't need the ins and outs of when you was born and all of that malarkey, <laughs> <laughs> but just a, a general bit of background on kind of what you do and and, and how you help people.
1: Well, I um, I operate as a as a writer and a speaker quite a lot. Um, so obviously that's why I was at SFN where we met. I was doing a talk there, like an hour's talk. I tried to squeeze loads of uh, things in on hydration, protein, carbs, fats, and recipe ideas for people, all in an hour. I don't think I took a breath.
0: Yeah, it's (laughs) hard, eh?
1: (laughs) Good. I I thought that was a really good weekend. But, um, yeah, so basically... uh, I'm really bad at talking about myself, but let me let me try and summarise. Um, I was quite hyperactive when I was a kid. I'd always be doing something every day, like literally, whether it was an art class, whether it was martial arts, whether it was swimming. You know, if you can think of a sport or a pursuit that was to do, you know, um, I was probably doing it every night of the week, probably just to keep me from annoying everyone around me. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Really. So. um I think swimming was the first thing I got into my godfather was he came over from Cyprus with that you know the Greeks the Greek Cypriot and uh, Turkish Cypriot sort of fallout sort of came over with nothing with his wife and you know like he he started off growing flowers on his windowsill and vegetables in his garden and then he, he died when I was a teenager and he left his wife millions and millions and and he had like restaurants loads of properties like group of shops that sold flowers and, thing, and uh, things like that so my my dad knew him because my, um, my dad's Greek-Italian but because we lived in a um, on a coastal town my godfather made a point of taking everyone in his family for swimming lessons so that we'd never be like you know unfortunately in coastal towns every few years you read about somebody who drowns right you know so I think that was from what I gather that was a big thing on his mind to make sure that so yeah swimming was the first thing I got into really through my godfather Came quite handy i like got scouted for uh, a club that a commonwealth game swimmer swam for oh wow i was yeah it was i don't know how i was so good at. It. i had really strong legs but my upper body was like pipe cleaners you know what i mean <laughs> uh, um so yeah so when i started working out when i was in my mid-teens i was really strong at like squats and leg press and leg extension and then uh i, I don't know chins was all right but i reckon it was because my, my body weight was so low but uh, i couldn't bench or anything like that to save myself yeah but, what I've retrospectively, a lot of that was in the setup. So you know, now if I coach somebody, I can show people, you know, exactly how they need to set up to be safe and strong, which I never had. So I was sort of training for five or six years. Uh, I wouldn't have any on anybody on my watch doing in case it injured them. You know. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people in the gyms get that. So yeah. So basically, I started off as a kid as uh, swimming, and I went off to a military school and um, got introduced to. Um, rugby and a few other things so I'd always had an interest in sport and being in a Mediterranean family everything uh well my mum's British but um you know all the focus of the social gatherings is is about cookery so basically sports and cookery have always been something of real interest to me yeah you know you get to the point where you think why not have a job that that aligns with your passions your interests I mean obviously that's what you why you guys do what you do and um yeah so I did so I did that studied personal training studied um, nutrition and got qualified in those things back in 2004 2005 since then i've tried to attend courses and talks and things like that from top people you see these uh, some people won't come to events unless there's rep cpd points on yeah. uh, which i find quite strange because some of the most value i've got is from going to talks by people who are you know top coaches or top uh, top academics and neither of them would even think to put CPD points on something. So
0: I, I have to completely agree with you there. We, me and Keres were talking about this the other day because we were just saying that probably the, the nutrition seminars, workshops, certifications, whatever, that we've been to over the years, probably the ones we got the most value from didn't have a clue what reps was, didn't have a clue what CPDs were, yeah. you know what I mean? Because for me that's, that means nothing, that's just words on a piece of paper. You know, did the course actually teach you anything? Valuable information you can take away and use on yourself, use with your clients with success, you know what I mean? I mean, you
1: can get CPD points for doing a course with one of those Viper things, which I find insane.
0: Oh, don't, don't, um, don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Obviously, that's a bit of kit that basically offers you no progression and the whole point of training is progression. So it's kind of a strange thing. So if anything, it's a regression, like wasting your time with that rather than a, I don't know what that
0: offers more than a, you know, like a barbell row or something. Um, It it, it drives me mad. When I was um, before, kind of like fit of food really took off, and I was doing a hell of a lot of personal training. uh, The gym I was working at—I mean, I was self-employed, but um, I was working at a fitness first. And um, the management there were were kind enough, if you like, to pay for all the PTs to go on a on a Viber course for free. And I just said, look, thanks a lot, but I'd I'd rather not. And they were like, yeah, but it's free. Come on, come on. I was like, no, no, honestly, I'd I'd rather earn a day's worth of money than go on that course. And um, lo and behold, you know, all all the PTs came back and... They were all they all they done with their clients was was uh, was viper, and it didn't matter if their their clients' goals was strength or whether it was hypertrophy. It was like viper, viper, viper. Yeah, you know, let us just do that. You know, that's the answer to the world's problems. And I
1: think that touches on something quite important there. Like my my ethos is always to do what's safest and what's most effective, and uh, also to examine an individual so that we find out so that we can find out or uh, plan that the approach we're going to take. Is, uh, is practical, sustainable, and really the best solution for their individual set of uh, problems or goals, as it were. And obviously, if you're doing something, so so on that note of efficacy, and we mentioned like you know lack of progressive overload. So if you look at the um, you know the reasons, all you can do with the human body is is uh, reduce body fat or build muscle. So you know whether people think they're a bodybuilder or not, all you're doing is reducing body fat or building muscle. So. And now if if we look at how we build muscle, you know, you've got a few factors uh, like tension, which is basically, you know, yeah. your progressive overload, like getting stronger, um, damage. So, you know, maybe like the more volume you do, you know, the more working sets perhaps, like the more damage, muscular damage you can create. Although there's um, there's a caveat there, like you want to be doing that with good technique because... If you're doing it with bad technique, you might make muscular um, stress end up being tenderness stress and run into injuries or and yeah. ligamentous stress. Obviously, good technique is paramount. But then you've also the the other factor of that is like cell swelling, so like blood flow getting a pump and things like that. Yeah. So obviously, you're looking at some sort of strength-based work, some kind of maybe some isolation work, and then maybe some like isolation work with like higher reps, lower rest times, that kind of thing. And that would be what would. Um, to like optimal results in terms of shaping you know increasing the the size of the muscle on their bodies and and I can't see how some of the kit we've seen become popular in recent years you know like people playing around on BOCES and Vipers really aids that at all if anything it's a distraction or um, a waste of time yeah um, the things that will take you you know the things that will facilitate ticking those boxes and in turn take you to those goals
0: that's what that's my feelings on it. No, yeah. mate, I hundred percent back you up, and I'm not just agreeing with you for the sake of it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm totally with you on that one, buddy. How did you make the transition then? Because if I'm not mistaken, you yeah. you've kind of been a little bit more focused on nutrition over the years compared to the training side of thing. Um, but it seems to be that of late, you've kind of like taken a bit more of a turn towards the training again. Am I correct in saying that? Or
1: um, I guess I guess in terms of what what my workshops do and what people see me doing yeah but i was a trainer first and when i was a teenager um do you know Cy Howard that runs snh photo uh i
0: i i don't know i didn't know his so name but I, his I know the name of the company bit, right?
1: yeah yeah so um we're from the same hometown and um we used to train well simon's a bit older than me but like 16 17 i joined this gym because uh, i knew Cy through my local rugby club and it was it was huge you know like um physique wise it had been he'd been he got really into his bodybuilding, and I was like, "Damn, I want to look like that um, I'd already been like lifting weights for a few years at school, but not really got too far like I had some baby tries and buys that <laughs> uh, oddly had like really good serratus development, and I'm not quite sure why <laughs> it's cause such a strange muscle it's yeah. it's, the,
0: it's the beauty of genetics mate we're so yeah. we're so unique i
1: th- I think it's I think it's because I used to do a lot of pullovers um like pullover and presses i think yeah. they're, they're a big part of that. But that was that was basically the first thing I learned to do was squat. So anyway, yeah, I, I spoke to um, spoke to Sai and he said like, uh, right, well, I go to this gym that you know there aren't really any. All, all we had were like leisure centre gyms that were like just uh, machines. Not that all machines are bad, but you know like the types you see in your leisure centres usually suck. The only machines I can think of being as half decent are probably like some of your hammer strength ones and some of your Cybex ones, right? like Cybex have got this ham curl one where you're like uh, stood up but leaning over. and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I don't know if you ever used that. It's like a single leg uh, plate loaded thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've seen it.
1: <laughs> but, um, so most gyms don't have machines like that. So this, this gym was run by this um, guy called Harry who'd been a bodybuilder for years and years and he was probably in his like 60s. Um, I mean, just every time you go in, you're just meant to put like two pounds in a jar by the door. Right. So just used to do that, you know. Um, and it was quite near my grandparents' house, so... I used to go and stay, like sleep the night there and then go off there at, like, 6 in the morning. Basically, it was a room, like, most people's kitchens are probably bigger, but it had, like, uh, it had a power cage, you know, like, with pins that you could adjust. So you could do rack pulls or, like, or your bench or your squat in there. It had a bench, had a cable crossover, had a seated row, a lap pull down and some dumbbells. And basically, that's all we had and we just got to it and there were shelves around the top. Out, you know, that lined the four walls literally just full of photos and magazine articles and trophies that Harry had accumulated over, like, you know, bodybuilding for his whole adult life, which is pretty cool. Yeah. He also used to do this really cool thing, Harry, the owner, like, he used to train neck by, like, he used to attach this bit of, like, uh, you know, like, the, the hook on or the clip or whatever you want to call it on the cables. He used to, like, put thread a bit of cloth through there and, like, bite it and then, like, what? yeah, and then, like, turn his head to, like, develop his uh, neck muscle. Um, hell. and it, interestingly I'm seeing um, pro rugby like Ulster Rugby uh, my friend Kev the strength coach there he's had a paper published on neck development and uh, you know if you've got a stronger neck when you're being handed off, if you're trying to tackle, you're more likely to see the tackle through, and and like also like when you're ball carrying and stuff like that, and like neck and uh, arms and things like that. I think in strength and conditioning have been like neglected areas for quite a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree.
1: Because everyone's just like, oh, you know, if you squat, everything else will happen. It's like mm.
0: that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, because don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan of the squat, and and yeah. I, and I, and, I, and, I, and I always have been. I love doing them. I get all my clients to do them, you know, or, or progress to them at the very least um but there is this kind of like the train of thought that like you say it's kind of the answer to everything and as, yeah. it is an amazing exercise but it isn't the answer to everything right
1: yeah no not at all i mean there's a lot i mean my i actually i actually prefer the deadlift but the deadlift's got a higher a higher price i guess for recovery and uh, central nervous system demands so you know you can probably squat two or three times a week whereas twice a week once you get into uh, yeah. near your max is pretty pretty impossible but some people have got a skewed perception of um, the soreness that they might get from deadlifts because they don't um, they don't hip hinge with their deadlifts they're trying to do like a sit up almost into position and then treat it like a, a leg press and back extension yeah. uh, which the movement's not so they probably get like a lot of um, lower back pain that they shouldn't from a deadlift yeah, but then yeah. they, they view the pain as the lift working But um, but in terms of you know, like you can value—not uh, value—you can monitor whether somebody's shot to bits or not. You know, central nervous system-wise, through grip strength. So, um, you know, they do that with like quite a lot of athletes who so have like a one of the grip dynamometers, right? And uh, yeah. if it goes down. So obviously, you can if you're deadlift trying to deadlift quite a few times a week, um, you can notice that you just got no grip strength, like no energy in the tank. So I think I think that's one thing the squats got over the deadlift. That um, deadlift might activate a bit more muscle and. Uh, You know, I think it's a better movement for strength and mass, but you can probably squat more than you can deadlift each week. In terms of frequency, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you can get more frequency out of a squat, I would say.
0: Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, coincidentally, um, I tried up in my deadlift sessions. I I'd normally do about two a week anyway, yeah. and I did try up in them recently, and it just didn't seem to feel right. Especially when I was try- you know, I'm squatting quite frequently as well, you know. Yeah. So that coupled coupled with it, it kind of wasn't the best combo for me. So I'm just going to stick to my two deadlift sessions a week
1: it's always worth trying
0: Uh, oh yeah it's um, trial and error isn't it you know what I mean it's and and I think that's that's a whole a whole nother thing you know so many people these days are scared to just give something a try and see how their body responds and make their own decision as opposed to just reading something in a magazine and taking it as gospel
1: well you've got to find the um the volume and frequency that you can recover from so yeah you know so with that like um backstory you know basically so I'd I'd, I'd always been like uh you know and started off in like the most sort of hardcore gym you can think of right yeah um so i've always been a training guy but you know with my like family background i've always been into food and cookery as well so um and then i qualified as a trainer qualified in nutrition but what i saw was that um not not enough people think nutrition's important you get people training people and the trainers would be like oh yeah i'll buy you some whey you can buy some protein powder through me for a bit of extra income yeah um when it came to writing a diet it's just like oh yeah eat some brown rice, eat some chicken make sure you eat your greens um, sod off yeah. <laughs> um, so I saw something wrong with that because you can't just you need to quantify things you can't just say as long as you eat the right foods everything will be okay mm-hmm. um, and equally you can't just say these foods are okay but forget that they taste like sawdust Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've always had a focus on delicious meals uh, making sure that we hit the right numbers but also other factors like does it suit people's lifestyle and stuff like that so yeah I've, I've always been a training guy but I I saw a lot of the uh, pitfalls in the way the industry doesn't really uh, appreciate nutrition or if, if people do nutrition they just write out like oh, I need to hit these numbers so I can do it with these foods and then they do it through force feeding themselves or telling people to have discipline and going hungry and with boring bland food and um, that just doesn't resonate with me at all I know that you know we can uh, we don't have to run into those problems um, with a bit more thought so yeah so I've always been a training guy always been a nutrition guy but I think I probably got more attention because my training stuff might not have been of a different voice to other people you know just saying yeah. like live with good technique uh, live with a good technique you know what I mean that's not really that different to a lot of people out there but in terms of nutrition I think probably that was popular because you know, I was I was actually saying that, like, you know, you don't need every supplement under the sun, and yeah. and like, you know, sharing cookery ideas, and and I used to put in like an hour every night for Q and A on Twitter, and you know, there'd be some training questions, there'd be some nutrition questions, a nice mix. But I think I think people, I think I think it's people's interests that have dictated what people want or what people see, because uh, I think people are more interested in my thoughts on nutrition and training. I think and in the last couple of years like I did I was a fitness model for a while but I Check
0: think, you uh, out.
1: yeah I know I, I but I had like when I stopped playing rugby I smashed my um, got nerve damage in my neck uh, and I got some weird thing where like the the nerve that opens my thumb so my thumbs don't open very strongly really it doesn't are. affect but yeah I show people it really freaks them out <laughs> so it's, ba- it's basically like cuz the nerves that go out from there are like in your you know your cervical vertebrae the, the ones below the skull for yeah and I basically had a lot of impact there, and it seems to have done something. <laughs> wow. And then my shoulders, um, you know, I need surgery on both, both of them. So I didn't get around to because uh, when I was living in London, I couldn't afford the time out because I had to use the tube every day. You know, I had to coach people and stuff like that, and I couldn't afford. It was better to be injured than totally incapacitated, however brief. You know what I mean? But that that um, that caught up with me and put me in a bit, like a bit of a dark place because like I, I, you know, like when I was telling you about childhood and stuff like that you know i was really really active for, for like my whole life basically so when i when i had, um not rugby on the it, and um you know i was trying to balance like uh you know work and uni and, and all of that it led to a breakdown and then um i stopped i stopped being in love with training for like quite a long time
0: that, and, uh, i mean that kind of brings you onto something that i did want to talk to you about actually because i know obviously you know being a rugby man myself and kind of coming from that background um i mean touch wood, you know i i stopped playing not through injury fortunately for me more so just because of other commitments just didn't allow me to um but i remember you know you know because like i said i've been following you for some time and and i know that your shoulders were a huge issue for you and i'm sure anybody that has a passion for training would understand how frustrating and at times depressing it feels when you physically can't do the things that you're used to doing. What happened there when that when that was kind of removed, you know, from a, from a nutrition perspective? And, you, you know, you said you fell out of love with training and stuff. Did you kind of immediately think, well, actually, you know, I need to make sure I'm really bang on with my nutrition to compensate through the reduced training intensity? Or, you know, what happened there?
1: In- initially, um, Initially, I dropped my carb intake dropped my protein intake a bit, uh, dropped my fats a little bit. So, well, basically I dropped overall calories. Because um, I wasn't as active, um, I still I, I was still playing. Uh, I tried playing rugby league on it for a year, on believe it or not. I, this, if you've got northern listeners, this will probably offend them because they're so defensive about rugby league. But I, I love sevens, I love union, I love league. They're all good sports. All got the same shaped ball as well. So I don't know why everyone bickers so much between the three of them. But um,
0: well, I actually but, started out in league. I started yeah. in league and then moved over to union.
1: So it probably made you a better ball carrier than most of the. Most of the guys on the union side of things. But, like, the, th- the thing with league is that because there's no rucking, you're not in that position where you're. Like you know, say you're doing like a, a pen lay rug or something, right? Just for the benefit of like people listening, you know, like when you're trying to um, steal the ball off the other team on the floor in a ruck, people come flying into your shoulders in the back of your neck. That doesn't happen in leagues, so yeah. like it, it didn't really aggravate my injuries. But there are a few times I try and put in a handoff or something, and I would go through the person, and and like but like after after the game, like and the adrenaline wears off, and I'd be like, shit, what's what's happened to my shoulder? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As soon as the, the pain calms down, you think the injury's gone, and it's yeah. not, because that's not fixed. And then you hurt it again, you get some pain, the pain goes away, and you think, oh, I'll play again. Or, like, even worse, you play through on caffeine and painkillers and things like that. So I made, like, partial tears, full tears, i had a rotator cuff tear, AC joint separation as well. So that's all through rugby, it's not through training. Like, I've always um, had, had an emphasis on trying to train as safely and effectively as possible, and if anything, training would reduce the amount of injuries you get you know if you look at like you know conditioning the hamstrings and things like that for knee deceleration and other fancy things like that yeah um, I mean I did some stupid things I remember I played like a sevens tournament in Wales and I was stealing a lot of ball off the other team in the tackle area and they didn't like it in a half time must have had a chat to like take me out of the game and I was get they're all coming in with like knee drops and into my back when i was trying to make turnovers and uh, i went off and after again after the adrenaline wore off like after the game i couldn't even stand up and uh, i was was weeing blood for like a week um turned out like they'd lacerated some organs which is pretty insane like when i went to the doctors um but i got selected for my region like the next week so i just rolled up a t-shirt taped it over and took caffeine and painkillers and played and like if i think back on that now i'd be like There'd, no, there'd be no way in hell I'd do that,
0: but like. But that, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's like yeah. you know, it's like we're 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 kind of um, biggest hypocrites, if you like, because even to this day, you know, there's I still consider pushing through certain things <laughs> for the sake of playing a game or getting that gym session in that I wanted to go to, and almost you have to stop and say, "Hold on!" If a client was in this position, what would I recommend that they do?
1: it would be like, "Don't ice it." Get to the physio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Um, I did. I did that when I was at school actually as well. I had like a fever for like three weeks, and I was in the infirmary, and um, I just excused myself to do the biathlon, which was swimming and running. And I was catching up to the guy in the first spot, and then I just fell down and just started being really sick. Uh, so like, but that was right in the middle of a fever, and I was. Well, wow. Do You know what I mean? Like, so I've always had like a mind over matter thing, but it's kind yeah. of. A, but it's kind of obviously. Uh, to my benefit but in these two you know in these uh, situations like rugby probably uh, probably to detriment because I should have t- taken time out to get the injuries fixed rather than try and keep playing but yeah led me, I, and I got really down about it and I, I fell out of love with training because where I used to you know make uh, improvements in my physique and progress with my lifts in terms of like you know bar speed or load on the bar that kind of thing uh, depending on what it just became a, oh I can only do a few things that don't hurt and all I'm doing is stopping myself from uh, being weak. Yeah. Uh,
0: um.
1: Just went through a real rough patch with it, and I didn't didn't enjoy it at all. But I started to get that back. Like I have started to get a. Uh, like I started a deadlift program, and I I, I'm I'm um, I'm looking into getting my shoulders sorted now that I'm settled. I've I've been in the Midlands for about a year, maybe longer. But I quite um quite like it up here. I've got got nice. So there's a really good strongman gym. Um, Body FX. You should give it a shout out. Give the a shout. Owners, um, yeah, the owner's uh, superb. He used to be a strong man, and now he's a napper bodybuilder. Um, and we've got uh, we've got a guy that who trains there who just won Italy's Strongest Man. I mean, he's the same height as me roughly, but he's got another ten stone on me. And like his, um, Jesus, if you look at like his the muscle on his forearm, you know that brachioradialis. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that when you're doing a hammer curl, that one that switches on. That yeah. one's like the whole size like circumference of some normal person's like upper arm like if they if they want like a live action incredible hulk they should probably just paint him green you know that's amazing
0: yeah (laughs) some people are just absolute genetic mutants aren't they yeah
1: strong the strong man guys are amazing because like you can have all the will in the world to be that strong but unless you've been born with that frame they've got and then built muscle on top of it you've not got hope in hell really like yeah wrists that are huge hands that are huge like just everything about them they're just
0: made big. for it you know
1: yeah definitely it's, it's obviously it's, it's strange like it's a strange thing to, to try and like sit down and think how some people get that and some people don't but like it's it's awesome to watch what those guys can do I mean um I got asked for a I got asked if I could spot spot his bench while I was in the gym and it's more than I can deadlift and I, <laughs> I, I was like yeah sure but in my head I was just thinking like what would I honestly offer
0: if, like, yeah, just, if this goes wrong? <laughs> yeah. We're, 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 yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, just, and that was, I think that was for a triple as well, so.
0: well. Well, who's that, um, you know, the one of the British guys now, one of Britain's strong, yeah, I, I can't got, remember if he there's won. A,
1: there's, there's Lawrence and there's Terry, there's Terry Hollands from Kent that's really big.
0: No, there's, there's, there's another guy, he's, um, I think he's got oh, Eddie like, Hall. yeah, Eddie, Eddie
1: Hall. and he and like, mo, the brown sort of mohawk, the northern guy,
0: yeah, and he's got like a, a big beard. Because yeah. he used to be a swimmer, didn't he? Yeah,
1: then a rugby player. Like That's that's kind of like me, except he's a better athlete.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's quite funny, isn't it? Because I remember reading, I was reading an interview with him, and he he, he was actually swimming at quite a high level, yeah. which when you see the size of this geezer, you think, how the hell did you even stay afloat? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I,
1: think, I think a lot of that muscle is obviously packed on with his dedicated like weight training. I can imagine he'd probably be, but if, if he was like sprint swimming, you know, like 50 meters, yeah. you imagine you imagine the output, like the oh, yeah. you know, force production and stuff like that, you know, when he's trying to, you know, kick and pull through the water and that would probably put him miles ahead of anyone else. He could weigh twice as much. I don't think it would matter.
0: Well, then apparently he went to the gym with like, a load of, the, of his pals. They kind of said, "Oh, will just come down to the gym with us. Yeah. And apparently he benched like one eighty on his like first,
1: yeah, exactly. first gym like
0: session, you know uh, what I mean? Andy Bolton was meant to be like that. You know, the guy who's deadlifted over yeah. thousands of pounds. He was meant to be like that. Apparently some
1: old guy in the gym who'd been in there well not old guy, but someone really experienced who'd built up his strength over years was squatting. So Andy gave it a go. So um yeah, there's I think these guys people don't realise they're they're freaks before. And I think you get that with a lot of athletes as well. I think I think where um more skill-based sports like uh, football and rugby and things like that. And I don't. I'm not saying that in a sense that strongman and stuff like that's unskilled because it's not. But um, just just through like the kind of textbook definition of things.
0: Yeah. But um,
1: make athletes to a degree, you know, by um, showing them techniques and and keeping an eye on them and improving their techniques. But in terms of things where all that matters is speed and strength. You know, you can obviously improve that in someone, but I think for the most part, they're things that are kind of like that. They're for the genetic freaks, and and uh, you can improve it in in the mere mortals, but um, not. You know, you you might not even get them to catch up these
0: these people. That well, that's the thing. It's I I know that I could increase my strength, but I know I'm never going to be. 200 kilos, deadlifting 350 kilos, it's just not gonna happen. I think
1: that's a bad thing though for most people. And I think if you look at, if people look at their, uh, like if they keep a logbook of training, and then you look like month one to month two, uh, and you might, you know, month three, month four, and you look at everything. And as long as you're following a good program, you might be able to look there and see, like, you know, over the years, like, oh, I got 5% stronger that month, you know, and then if you add that up and you're doing that every month, that's very real, you know. Like in a quarter, you get fifteen percent stronger. In a year, you've got sixty percent stronger. That's huge.
0: Yeah, of course. So, and and and
1: whether that total weight that is uh, that's seen a sixty percent strength increase, or you know, that's seen you hit that sixty percent strength increase, doesn't touch, you know, like some some of the world's elite powerlifters or strongman. competitors. so what? You know, you're doing a great job.
0: But it's it's, re- it's relative, isn't it? It's relative to yeah. you. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And and that's the main thing.
1: I think so. I think that's the thing. I think a lot of people would be uh, better off to try and sort of track their own progress and like really kind of have a look at things and you know see what's going right and pat themselves on the back. Sometimes I think people can be very critical of themselves all too often.
0: Mate, going back to you know, you said you went for a bit of a a dark patch, so to speak, with your training. What was kind of like the catalyst for getting back into it and actually you know sorting things out and and getting that spark back, so to speak? Um,
1: well, I just realized that that's where i'm ha- that's where I'm happy, that's what I'm happy doing um and also from a business point of view, I'm starting to get like trolls on my page like oh uh, you know like real crappy comments like oh, what do you know you like you're fat oh yeah, I don't have mirrors in my house, thanks for that pal but um, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean uh, like I've been fit fitting in shape my whole life, and then it was just like well, oh, I should probably sort this out. But I I wasn't in the position to do it a while you know a while back because I don't like doing things from a position of like self loathing or um, some people seem to thrive on that you know all that let your haters be your motivators I don't believe in that at all but like different people are set up uh, differently and different things appeal but I don't think it's ever good like if you try and fuel yourself with uh, the negativity around you I think you've got to do things for um, positive reasons
0: um, yeah and but, for you ultimately
1: yeah exactly and um and and i mean if you get to the point right where you've proven everybody wrong let's say and then and then they suddenly go oh yeah you're all right now yeah. you know be I mean? like so um but yeah i think so it's kind of just been for myself like i felt i've fallen into a position where like i feel like i can enjoy it again and i can um, like i just took stock of things so like my my knee and ankle flare up from like i had an achilles issue and uh like i've got no an meniscus and a few blown ligaments in my right knee so like <laughs> yeah, jesus yeah, this mate is, yeah, this is rugby 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 yeah um, nothing i've never injured myself in the gym you know like you hear about people getting pec tears and um because i'm i've always like really uh, been tight on technique and um if anything in the past i've probably been a bit too cautious about overtraining but like the amount of uh, work I do as high quality and high energy as possible, Put a bit more volume in because it was quite on vogue like uh, ten years ago, and uh, over the last maybe up to sort of three or four years ago, to uh, worry about overtraining. But yeah. it is true that in the seventies uh, and eighties people were doing far too much and then wondering why they won't weren't, weren't getting the results. But um, there's a you know there's a middle ground. But um, yeah, I, I, it just it, I, I just got to a point where. I feel I can do it and make some progress and enjoy it again. So I took stock. You know, I can't really squat too often. All my knees feel like they want to explode. I have to be. I can't press all my shoulder. You know, because of my shoulders. Yeah. Uh, but you know what can I do? I can do a few. Um, not all bicep stuff. Not all tricep stuff. But there are certain lifts that I can do, and I can do very well without any pain if I'm careful. So I just thought, right? I'll, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to have massive arms and, you know, look like Bill Pearl. So, <laughs> well, like, let's get back on the you know, back on the wagon with it and start hitting arms again. So, like, um, I can still do calves, so I think, like, you know, I'll do calves again. I've never, done, I've never really done calves that much because uh, I always just had them from swimming and rugby and athletic sort of stuff, uh, and I thought they were genetic, but then obviously when I got inactive, they withered away. It was, like, quite embarrassing. There was a friend of mine at Body Power, and she was like, do you want a calf off? I was like, oh, yeah, I'll smoke you. And then, uh, there was actually, like, nothing there. I was like, oh,
0: shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but that was after like a year out. So I realized that I'd be best to start training. So basically I do some arms, I do some calves, I do, um, I do rows, I do deadlifts, um, and a few, um, a few other bits and bobs, like um, some stuff for posture. And I do some SMR, you know, like a lacrosse ball and uh, foam rolling and stuff like that, just to, cause I, I'm, I seem to be quite prone to getting loads of knots in my lats and traps all the time. So that helps yeah. keep them free. But so basically I joined, uh, I, moved, I moved to the Midlands, I joined BodyFX and I love that gym and they've got all these like strongman logs and neutral grip bars so basically I started doing pendlay rows off the floor, you know the ones where a problem, this is sort of a training tip for people listening, A problem with most people doing uh, barbell rows is that over the course of their set their torso becomes more upright, yeah. and it becomes more of a shrug and rear delt exercise um, well, you know, main, mainly shrugs but a bit of ridder than it does um, a back developer. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, so, you know, a pendlay row is where, providing you've got the hip mobility, for some people with short legs or some people without the hip mobility, uh, and that's kind of interrelated because the people with the shorter legs, they have to the hip hinge more to get in the right position. But you basically have a, a flat, you know, an upper back, uh, well, sort of shoulder to hip near parallel to the floor. And, and then row from there, trying to keep as stationary as possible. And I've got my um, I've got my strict penle rows up to like 120 kilos. And if oh. I have a bit of a a bit of a help, like more like a dead stop power row kind of thing, but without coming up too high, probably only about 15 degrees. Um, I've, I've managed to get like um, what was it 150 for three this year. Yeah, so that's like three three plates and a five each side off the floor rowing. Um, so that's quite good so like I found the things that I can work on uh, and I've been doing that so I can't bench uh, squatting leads to pain you know knee pain and stuff but so what you know I'm making great progress with deadlift so I mean I've got my got my arm size back up again I'm getting like you know everyone compliments me on my tries now all the time so, uh, <laughs> like so
0: wearing yeah. wife beaters in the middle of winter
1: yeah obviously uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but no it's good because I've had like a, a couple of years like out of it not enjoying it and like, sinking into being skinny fat, but what I'm doing, because obviously, like, if you're a drug-free guy, all you can do is, uh, build muscle, and then hang on to muscle as you burn fat, and that, obviously, to build muscle, you've got to be hypocaloric, you know, in caloric excess, and to, uh, drop fat, then you've got to be, um... Uh, you've got to be hypocaloric, you know, rather than hypercaloric. Yeah. Um, so basically, people think about all this, like, build muscle and burn fat at the same time, and I'm sure there's sometimes some crossover in people that have been out injured or people who are new to training, um, and definitely feel like they're chemically assisted, but for your, uh, for your natural people like myself and, you know, people listening, you, um, you can only do one or the other. So for now, uh, what I decided would make me happy, if I dieted down, uh, you know, to start things off, I wouldn't be happy because I just feel like a pencil. So I'm I'm risking getting a bit chunkier to put the muscle back that I want, uh, and then and then I'll diet down probably. I don't know. I think I think I probably need like another four, five, six months of muscle building, and then I'll diet down. So maybe like my my aim is is that this is another mindset thing, right? So a lot of people like to judge people by how the way they look now, the the way they perform now. I'd always think like, have a think in a year where you could be you had a great approach and you're prepared to be dedicated and
0: consistent uh, and that will say and that might perhaps say more about you oh mate. i totally agree i mean it's like when you look at some of the um, you know like the fitness competitors who are yeah. maybe in their off season who are you know just exactly like you're saying you know they've vamped their calories up they've you know they've changed their macros up and you know their goal is to put on muscle mass to yeah. where all of a sudden they don't look as shredded as they did they look softer looking you know carrying more body fat more water and you see some of the guys on Facebook who get absolutely, you know, mullered for it. Like, what the hell? You know, like, you know, these guys, when they're on their game, you know, are dropping down to five, six, you know, maybe even less percent body fat, which obviously we know is completely unsustainable. Yeah. But I think a lot of people think that it is and that yeah. these guys should. They, think
1: they should look like that year round. And yeah. Like, no, you're right. You're definitely right, Matt. It's, it's not sustainable and they shouldn't look like that year round. And um, on the um, related to that, I see uh, the fallout, people on the other side of this, coming out the other side, particularly like your bikini girl types, and then once they've got in stage condition, they can't live with themselves in uh, off-season shape. Yeah. You know, if you do a quick whip round, like, uh, what do you like? Um, I bet no one would put like, oh, I really like it when like lower ab veins come through and uh, their face looks skeletal. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? They probably, they probably say, yeah, I quite like, I quite like it when girls look curvy, and but a lot of them are beating themselves up to get to this like, this stage, you know, stage level, and then um, it's not necessarily maintainable year round, especially not drug free. Well, it's, uh,
0: it's like, uh, you know, they, they they're just setting the bar really high for themselves, you know, and, and like you say, it's like almost, uh, you know. It's, you almost need to have this chat with you, with your, with yourself beforehand, and say, "Well, look, this isn't sustainable. I'm not going to be able to maintain this year round. This is going to change, but yeah. that's cool because I know this, and I'm in control of it, and it's just going to be a different phase of my journey." You know.
1: Yeah, that's it. If you've if you've got uh, realistic expectations, but I think I think the trouble is that there aren't many. There's one or two I can think of that actually openly share. What they look like in the off season, but most of them they're putting around their shots that they had taken in peak week. Yeah, uh, you know from the shoots they had in in like or like the week after the show when they tried to hold their condition, um, and they put and they're using those images all the time. And then people think that the people look like that all the time. Yeah, uh, you know, and the whole uh, fitness magazine uh, thing. People peak for shoots. Do you know what I mean? Like people have their shoots done. And or they or they peak for a show and have their shoots done when they're in that condition. Yeah. So we've got this whole industry built on absolute smoke and mirrors because no one looks like that very long. There's only a handful of people that I know who are who are not far off stage condition all year and there. Um, but they're they're absolute. Um, you know, again, like when we're talking about people who are freakishly strong or freakishly muscular, the people who are that lean, they're kind of they're freakishly lean.
0: That's the thing, you know, and, and, and you know genetics are genetics at the end of the day. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a guy I used to train with back in the day, um, which makes me sound like I'm old and I'm not, but a guy I used to train with when I was at like sixth form college. He was a year younger than me. Aesthetically, like this guy was absolutely shredded. You know, I'm talking like four or five percent body fat. And he just looked like that all the time. You know, he would build muscle just looking at a weight. But the weird yeah. thing was, I was always stronger than him, you know, quite substantially. To look at, he had the more impressive physique. He was leaner. He yeah. had more muscle mass, you know, and you know it, the definition was just absolutely ridiculous. And but we used to train together. We used to train exactly the same. The difference being, I was a bit stronger, but genetically, he he just the bastard. I, I, think, that's, um, <laughs>
1: I think I think that's a big thing. I mean, I've. Um, I've got some friends that uh, are um, like Caribbean in, in their background and for some reason their delts and everything just get really 3D and huge. Yeah. Really well he big. he
0: was actually, uh, he was uh, Nigerian.
1: Yeah, so. oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I played rugby um, with a few guys um, with that background and they, they all seem to put on muscle like nobody's business as well. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I've, I've observed that quite a lot too. But also um, to the onlooker, there are things where you you can see where you think people are performing in the same exercise, but there are certain things that the person might be doing with their mind um, to keep more tension on the target muscle, or yeah. you know things like that. So I think that's one thing that's always good about having some coaching because people can show you these things and the, the exercises that you thought. Uh, didn't do much for you or you weren't getting anywhere with somebody that knows all these things can point them out to you Um, I've just got back from doing a a training camp in Ireland there's a strength coach over there, Paul McGee he's just opened a really good gym focus, you know, with like a grass track a few cages and uh, you know, all your dumbbells and barbells and things like that, a gym where they've got like you know clubs for like strength and conditioning type circuits and you know um, we covered um Lifting over Saturday and Sunday there, um, there are a lot of things that I don't think people had ever heard before about thinking about the way the arms move in a row or a press or, you know, the way the hips are meant to move during a deadlift or, you know, um, you know even upper body positioning during a squat and things like that. Yeah. Um, and unless you're told and shown these things you might not otherwise realize and you could be kind of missing out on a lot of results that you might you know that your level of effort and time invested might should entitle you to but without doing them doesn't you know
0: oh mate I mean it's um I was I've actually just started working with a with a coach myself because I've just started getting into Olympic lifting oh very good um but he also has got quite a big powerlifting background as well and I got him to just look at my deadlift for me and I've always felt my deadlift form wise was okay you know the deadlift has never caused me you know problems you know I've always felt quite strong in the deadlift but I said to him you know as you're here would you mind just having a look yeah. and he noticed something like a real real subtle thing that I probably never would have spotted and, and have probably been doing it for a long long time for some reason when I'm about to lift the bar when I start getting to to kind of like heavier weight I, I, I roll the bar away from my body a little bit
1: yeah I got you and you need it right
0: on your shins yeah and even though you know like to me it felt like I I was keeping it nice and close and and like I said it's never caused me any problems as soon as he I didn't know that he'd filmed it and I'd seen it and I thought right okay I was completely unaware of that and literally I whacked 10 kilos on my PB yeah
1: because every time that bar's away from your legs in a deadlift basically like you know, you should have bruises. You should have scars from deadlifting. <laughs> um, yeah, but the like, thing
0: is, that I do. No, obviously, no, no, that's the
1: thing. Like uh, that, you know, just as a not not you personally, but I mean, to as a tip for people listening, you know, like yeah, on, yeah. But yeah, especially on those heavy ones, because uh, you know you want to pull from when your shins like near near vertical. Have the bar coming upright. right, and then a lot of other people. Um, what I've observed in a lot of people, because I often, you know, like online. Um, I get my clients to film their lifts. Some people sign up just for this lifting critique, but you know, if, if they get their lifts filmed, I'll critique them so they're lifting better. Like you know, give them con- some constructive feedback. But uh, a thing a lot of people do is they straighten their legs first, um, rather than get the bar yeah. to height and yeah. then basically hip drive through, like you know, like a hip thrust. And they miss out on that element of the lift. Um, use the sort of quads, and glutes all together. It just becomes like a lower back strain. So I think yeah, technique is, is kind of everything, and that's, there, there is something you know, um, you know when you said the bar comes away from me, there's something I'd do that I picked up uh, from Andy Bolton, that like, between sets that, like reps on your deadlift. Uh, it's just these like three little uh, like straighten your legs out and then push them back through, basically into position. And on each like pump like that, you know, I run through this checklist of like tight lats, tight lower back, you know, with like a neutral uh, neutral spine. And then shoulder blades apart with all the slack out of my arms, and then that keeps you in like the um, keeps you in like the tightest, strongest, like safest position. Yeah. You know, if there's anything slack when people are going to pull, like I see people deadlift with like slack arms. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just like as soon as they start getting half strong, that's just begging for bicep tears. Oh God, um, Yeah, you don't want see, that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I also see a lot of people trying to deadlift with like you know with their back contracted like they were doing a row. And that's just just begging to sort of tear some scap retractors as well. Um, You know, all sorts of things like that. I could probably probably do a whole podcast on, like, fixing a deadlift, but obviously that's a massive uh, random tangent.
0: But But, that's the thing, isn't it? You could literally talk about it for hours. I mean, like, the, the point I was trying to make was is that, you know, like, sometimes it's just worth investing in just having somebody who is a bit more of an expert in that area than you just having a look at stuff you know and and i've got i've not got an ego in that you know i mean even though i'm a personal trainer strength coach you know i've got no qualms in paying somebody else to to help me with things that you know are are not my area of expertise and and like i said you know this this subtle observation that to me i was completely unaware of and you know and 10 kilo on my PB is that's a pretty big jump from that one little bit of advice so but mate should we talk about something we're both incredibly passionate about
1: yeah, let's get on the food, yeah, yeah Let's
0: yeah. do it. Right. So obviously you've got you just bought out a, a cookbook, right? A recipe book.
1: Yeah, well, um I realised like I'm getting a lot of inquiries where um people don't want coaching, they just want like better food. Yeah. Um and I've I've become known for that with clients. Like none of my clients, even if they're trying to get, you know, like prep for a shoot or something, even they don't even have boring food in that situation. Yeah, it's quite um so so I just realised like I may as well Make compile these and put them in a book It's not as it wasn't as easy as I thought you guys will know that right yeah believe <laughs> you know, you've got all the recipes ready all the pictures ready and you think it would just be like oh next week and then like uh, no no there's actually like loads and loads of stuff to do so uh, I got a bit out of my depth with it and I got a designer to help me yeah. uh, um, hopefully everyone likes the look of it that's bought it yeah I kept it as an ebook I'd like to make it a hardback book but if you think when you're initially trying to get something out there and particularly with like social media followers, they're not they're not all in your town. You know, there's, there's I've got people in like USA and yeah. Australia and New Zealand and stuff like that. And if I did it hardback, they probably wouldn't be able to get hold of it. Um and also hardback, you know, before you know who's interested and who will pay or not, so you're taking a massive risk and a massive massive hit, aren't
0: you? I mean that that so we done it the other way around. We went hardback first well we we didn't even bring an ebook out to be honest, we bought a Christmas ebook out like a Christmas edition, but we just went straight for the hardback
1: How did you um that's interesting How did you go
0: about doing it? Well, I suppose similar to you in a sense in that we you know were very kind of like training focused you know and whilst we're trying to advise people on nutrition. Um, we were kind of getting the same bits of feedback of, oh, you know, eating healthy is boring. Uh, yeah. It takes too long to prepare all your meals. It's not convenient, et cetera. And we were like, well, it is. Like we do it every day and it's perfectly yeah. convenient. So we actually started off by we, – we didn't even plan on writing a book. This is the beauty of it really yeah, okay. is we initially just wanted to put together like a booklet, a general bit of nutrition information on maybe signs, signs your diet's not working for you – why some foods are better than others and why you should probably avoid certain things, you know, to to educate people a little bit. And then we were going to give them a handful of recipes to kind of crack on with. But I'm sure you know what it's like when you start writing. Next thing you know, we had like 100 pages of of, um, literature. Then next thing you know, we had about 60 odd recipes. And it was like, hold on a minute, like this is insane. And it was a friend of ours that said, because we said if you was a client of ours and we handed you this as part of a package, would you be pleased with it? And she turned around and said, "Yeah, I'll be over the moon with it." She was like, "This is basically a book, like you guys should turn this into a book." Yeah. and that kind of planted the seed really, and we figured well let's 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 just go for it. So we carried on writing i I was like cooking up more recipes, and next thing you know, we had over a hundred recipes. We were really pleased with the kind of like front half of the book, and we looked into getting the book designed and printed and whatnot and Don't get me wrong, it was a huge financial and time investment for us. But it was something that, you know, we were incredibly excited about and really passionate about and and we just kind of went for it. I mean it was incredibly scary, mate, because the financial investment was bit bigger than I'd like to to even mention, really. Yeah, sure. Um but then equally, you know, Keris and I, we we kind of we've noticed this. We we like throwing ourselves in the deep end because yeah. you know, there's obviously just something in us that likes that kind of the unknown, so to speak, and almost kind of gives you that added incentive to pull your finger out. And so we, yeah, we just, we just went for it with the with a with a paperback. And and the reason we done paperback over an ebook was mainly off of our own. We didn't do a survey on this or anything. It was just our own personal preference.
1: Yeah, I do. Pr- I prefer, um, you know, even it's a bit geeky but I've always liked graphic novels from like when I was a kid so like I always used to read all the Batman ones and you know when I was buying them I'd try and buy the hardback rather than the paperback let alone and and, you know sometimes I've bought textbooks as e-copies it it can be kind of annoying because there's something about the feel of a physical book that you can leaf through and you know leave the page open on and stuff like that there's there's just there's, there's still quite a not I can't even express it but there's still like a nice feel about actual books that e-books don't have.
0: Why, why a recipe book then over, like, a training book or, you know, a general nutrition book?
1: I'm planning some training and nutrition ones. Like, I want to do some on, like, you know, like uh, presses and rows and a deadlift and things like that. Um, and, you know, so, like, smarter training, basically. Yeah. Uh, and I've got them all planned. But uh, Obviously, like, clients come first and things like that. But well, why a recipe book? I feel it's a massive niche. Like, you know, like... with yeah. People don't um and not and not because I'm here trying to spot niches to make money. I just mean in the sense of like like helping people. Like how many people are eating boring diets oh, and yes. they think it's and they think it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like half a tin of chopped tomatoes, you add like four or five grams of carbs to a meal. So what? Do you know what I mean? Four or five yeah. grams, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh and like some chopped onions, some herbs and spices, that might add like thirty or forty calories to a meal doing that but it's made the meals palatable, it's made them delicious, it's made them incredible to eat, and you could probably shave down the carbs elsewhere from, like, the carb sides and have it all work out as equal, and people might have been trying to force-feed the carbs yeah. to a degree beforehand, so it might have made their life a bit better, you know, if you sit and do the numbers, but I did it because, uh, you know, like like you say, people think it's a chore, people think it's difficult, they don't know what to do, some people, or they've only got one or two recipes, so uh, a lot of it's slow cooker, so that you can prepare stuff for the week ahead. You know, so if you say, like, it's just a devil's advocate. No, not devil's advocate. Um, sake of argument, I don't know why that came out. (laughs) Um, For the sake of argument, let's say you need 40 grams of protein per sitting. So you've got 200 grams of raw meat, and you want to do a week's portion. So you've got 1.4 kilos. You know that you put seven portions in a slow cooker. So, like, if you weigh the ceramic pot in the slow cooker before you cook, load it all up with the ingredients, cook it, uh, weigh it again afterwards and subtract the weight of the ceramic pot in it you can just uh start weigh, give it a good stir you can start weighing out portions to you know to put in like little pyrex dishes in the fridge yeah, yeah. Or, like uh, freezer bags in the freezer for like the week or the fortnight ahead however much you've cooked up and then you know you've basically from that one uh one day in the slow cooker you've made like a week or two weeks of basically like ready meals for like chicken or beef i mean i've actually got um two slow cookers on my counter because i do like uh, a chicken meal in one and a beef meal in the other and then i cook up all like uh fish and uh, eggs and things like that on the and the carb sides on the day yeah but for the most part uh and then i'll usually have some dairy protein in there from uh total greek yogurt and and uh whey as well throughout the day at certain times but you know that that basically it makes everything really painless and, and the way i cook fish is pretty like hands off as well you know so so basically i wanted to arm people with really effective methods really helpful methods things that will free up a lot more time than things that are like absolutely guaranteed to get people eating delicious food and since the uh you know the sharks in south africa the super rugby team um yeah their um their dietitian uh has absolutely loved it and she's got their
0: chef cooking up the recipes Um, that's amazing
1: I, I normally, I'm normally like non-disclosure with people, but um, so I don't normally talk about clients and what we do. But they're not strictly clients, so you know I don't mind mentioning that. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I had some, um, had some pro athletes across various sports buy it, uh, just regular members of the public as well. Which, yeah. You know, like I hugely appreciate too. Um, uh, but these are the recipes that I've been using with clients, whether they're you know regular members of the public or elite athletes, um, for the last three or four years. So I just. Put, put the best ones in one place because it's my. um i think i think you need consistency but i think you need that variety as well so oh 100% having so you can be consistent in the sense that you eat like fish and rice and uh, no fish and what am I about fish and chicken and beef every day right but you could uh, you could vary whether that's like uh, beef or blesbok or something like that but then you could also vary whether you do that as like um like a slow cooker casserole or steak strips and things like that so really i just wanted to show people how to be consistent yet have variety but also um how to make it simple and how how to make it absolutely delicious and i don't think with any of these recipes if you were to serve them i won't say like a full-on fully fledged restaurant but like in like a bistro style sort of home cooking hearty sort of Place that you go and eat. I don't yeah. think anyone. I think if people could follow these recipes, I don't think people would turn their nose up at any other food. In this, it's not like you could have people over and they wouldn't think they're eating fitness food. You know what I mean? Do
0: you know we actually um, with our online plans, what we tend to do is we 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 tell people to do like uh to to have like a fit of food feast. You know, so invite friends and family around. You know, just say that you're cooking dinner, having a film night, whatever, and then just cook them like a fit of food feast. Don't tell them what it is. Don't tell them that it's gluten-free or whatever it may be. Just cook it for them and see what happens. And I'm telling you now, not a single person has ever come back and gone, oh, yeah, I've done that, and so-and-so noticed that it was all healthy food and blah, 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 blah. It's just empty plates everywhere. People love it. And it's almost like that, that psychological aspect. If you tell someone, I'll say, oh, by the way, this is really healthy and gluten-free and all of that, you, you know, for full well, you've got some people that are just be like, oh, no, I'm not, up not, plate not plate. keen on that, don't like that.
1: See, I've had a lot of clients um, with IBS or that are celiacs or uh, and certain <laughs> things like that, so it's it was it was like sort of fashionable for a while to uh, bash everybody trying to be gluten free, but I think that was quite childish because you've got genuinely a lot of people with uh, issues if they. Uh, eat not necessarily just gluten but certain things so obviously finding alternatives uh, that's actually enriched my own diet because even though I'm not necessarily doing it for the same reasons uh, as as a a celiac like having to find all these alternative carb sources like polenta and things like that that's introduced some awesome things into my life you know like recipe wise because Otherwise, we'd have just been, like, in the uh, brown rice and sweet potato club. and uh, Yeah, and,
0: and that gets pretty boring after a while, right?
1: Yeah, stick it out about three days before you want to kill yourself.
0: <laughs> so you what know. what's this book called, mate, if anybody wants to... Uh...
1: I've just called it The Recipe Collection, the same way that, like, I don't even have a business name, it's just my name, I don't I don't know. You know when it comes around to, like, naming things and trying to yeah. be all, like, uh, you know, and have, have, like, all these, like... Uh, Things that work from a marketing, I don't have any idea, so I just get on with things. Like you know, when I wanted to start working with people, it just, it's just just my name and, and my enough. title. And then like with this, so I was just like, "What is it? It's a recipe collection." Oh, all right, the recipe collection. So,
0: yeah, you know, so yes. and that's available on. You've got a website.
1: Uh, oh yeah, the nutrition and training consultancy, all one word and a and d. So the nutrition and training consultancy dot weebly which is w-e-e-b-l-y that's the site i made the site on dot uh, com but i'm going to get it transferred back to being uk again cool. um when i you know when i can that's another one of the on the to-do list Good, um yep yeah, but it's on there it's linked it's linked on my twitter actually i put it in my twitter bio and twitter
0: is just
1: uh that's Alex uh, Ferrantino seven. So just no, you know, no spaces, no underscores. Uh, the le- um, letter, the number seven. That just used, that was my position when I was playing rugby. So
0: oh, I figured. Yeah. I figured. Yeah. Oh, nice one, mate. Well, um, we did this actually. We had, we had a few questions that people had submitted, but in all honesty, we we've kind of answered. Well, Well, to be fair, a a good few of them were related to, obviously, because people know that you've got a book, a recipe book, so a lot of them were based on food prep, which you kind of answered quite well with the slow cooker, Um, because we're we're quite big fans of the slow cooker as well, it's actually an an absolute lifesaver for us, you know, we just whack it on in the morning and then you come home and you've got an epic amount of food. Prepared. Um, I have to say, actually, I need to give a shout out to a, a slow cooked venison stew that I made a couple of days ago, which was absolutely mind blowing. Um, yeah. And I've, I've had it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for like two days <laughs> on the trot. Um, but, mate, um, I tell you what, um, we, we've gone over an hour there. Absolutely oh, no. awesome to have you on the show buddy um i quite like that because it was more of like a a general chit chat about everything kind of training rehab nutrition sport you name it we kind of covered it there um, which is kind of how we like it mate you know to be kind of really informal and just kind of get some valuable information out there and it's also good to kind of hear about your own personal journey because i think a lot of people assume that people like us in our industry just just have always had it easy and you know we've always been in shape we've never had any problems or obstacles yeah. to overcome so you know it's, it's great to hear that you know you've had your fair share of obstacles and you've kind of come over uh, you know overcome them in, in in ways that you know how so mate yeah, thank you right. thank you so much um Thanks, i know you're a busy dude and you know you've taken the time out to come on the show on facebook where can people find you on there
1: facebook.com in and then after like a forward slash that's
0: a, that's, that's a good start isn't it? yeah if yeah, <laughs> that's,
1: that helps if you're there first but after, yeah, after that if you put nutrition and training consultant that'll take you to my page so that's uh again spell nutrition a n d consultant. no spaces no underscores again uh, and that's the uh that's the direct address of the facebook page yeah i've also um I've also got like an about me page where if you put about me slash uh, again all one word Alex Ferentinos that will um, that will uh, take you to like a brief summary of uh, you know it's like a, a small page that links to everything else so that's quite a good place to send people initially um, yeah thanks for having me on the show mate we've uh, it's been it's been nice to uh, talk to you and I hope uh, people listening. You know, from what we were talking about, can get some ideas that um might improve their efforts in like training or nutrition or cookery, or you know, it's always like if you spend an hour listening to something, if you pick up like two or three ideas that yeah. help your life, it's always worth
0: it, isn't it? Oh so, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, it's it's, it's never going to be easy to absorb absolutely everything. So, like you say, if you can come away with two or three things that you can implement straight away, then you know it's it's a good day, right?
1: So. uh I think probably from this, there'll probably be a lot of people going out and buying a slow
0: cooker. Maybe. <laughs> Fingers crossed, mate. I should, I should become an affiliate for like some Morphe Richards products or something.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think you. Uh, yeah, I think you got your finger
0: on the pulse with that. I've never even thought of
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks, mate. All right, mate. Nice one. Just before we go, in a sentence, what would be your kind of like message for people out there, like with regards to new training and nutrition? Put you on the spot there. Look at that. Yeah. No.
1: No. No. I've got it. Uh, I would say like think long term. Things have to be effective and enjoyable, so don't get emotionally attached to what you've done so far. Have an open mind and maybe uh, you know talk to somebody who is um, who's got a mixture of like experience and qualifications and like an evidence base, you know, so that they're not just uh, you know jumping on bandwagons for like hype, so that it's like you know sound. Yeah. You know, so the info is sound and coming from science for the most part, but they're also experienced. So, yeah, I would say think long-term, be well-informed, keep an open
0: mind, uh, be patient. And be consistent yeah. yeah I didn't prep you for that It was like uh,
1: right. Uh, <laughs> for, for right from the left field but I, think, I
0: think that's a, that's a good answer <laughs> no that's good no great answer mate great one alright buddy well listen enjoy the rest of the day thank you once again uh, everyone that's listening as always you know be sure to check out Alex's you know social media pages and of course his uh, recipe book um, you know it's all kind of tying in with the exact same principles that we follow at Fitter Food so get involved with that and of course please subscribe, review the podcast share it with friends, you know if you feel they're going to get something from it, it'd be hugely appreciated Um, and that's it from me and Alex, thanks buddy and I will hopefully speak to you soon thank you man, cheers mate, bye